Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with John Ford and Deirdre Boso. What a morning. Microsoft and Alphabet blow out quarters but go opposite ways today as the S&P hits a record high. We'll explain. Then we'll break down Pinterest and their results this quarter. And later, two more coming after the bell tonight. We'll tell you what to expect, John, from both Facebook and Apple. Yeah, Qualcomm coming after the bell, too. I'll be watching that. Also, now check out shares of Shopify. Sold off for the last two weeks, but recovering all that after strong results this morning. President Harley Finkelstein is going to join us on that in a bit. AMD up as well after data center sales more than doubled. And then there's Spotify tanking at the open, trying to rebound now after the current quarter's operating loss range fell way below the street's forecast. More on all of those throughout this hour. John, top of the feed today, where is the growth story in big tech? Microsoft and Alphabet both out with huge beats. Microsoft, $41.7 billion in revenue, up 19% year over year. Alphabet, $55 billion, up 34% year over year. But Investors are looking for the next growth story like YouTube for Alphabet, that business, seeing a growth rate of 49%, Google Cloud up 46% year over year. And for Microsoft, just take a look at its cloud revenue, Azure up 50%, Xbox 50%, LinkedIn ad numbers 60%, or take Teams, that product now has 145 million daily active users, which Guys, brings us to Apple. Earnings out tonight. And could that be the reason that the stock is basically flat year to date? John, where is the growth story here? Isn't it supposed to be services, that brand new M1 chip, or is that already baked in? (laughs) Well, we've been asking where's the growth in Apple for a while now, and the stock price certainly uh, keeps growing. Uh, I'm going to be interested, uh, Carl, in the conversation today around reading forward what we learned last night into what we're going to learn for the rest of the week. Yes, we've got Facebook and Apple tonight. There's some things to read through from Microsoft into Apple, I think, and certainly from Alphabet into Facebook. And then we've already gotten Microsoft with the cloud numbers. We've got some cloud numbers from Google as well. Amazon is the big one in the cloud space. That's coming up in uh, just a few hours, not today, but this week. Yep, I'm Morgan Stanley today on Microsoft. Uh, John said the quarter had on had its puts and takes, as they said, but commercial bookings up 39. That's the best we've seen in five years, and they say it illustrates the degree to which Microsoft has a a solid handle on the corporate IT wallet. You know, today's uh, share action notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Deidre, uh, let's take it from here and dive into both Microsoft and Alphabet. Ranjan Roy is half of the duo behind the Substack newsletter Margins, former trader at Bank of America. He joins us now. We talked about the cloud. I kind of want to talk about uh, more personal computing when it comes to Microsoft because Windows revenue uh, for the OEM business beat consensus. I think maybe we can read through some of that, at least into consumer demand, and it might shed some light on Apple, right? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to take a step back and think about how the entire market has been operating like we're at a buffet and just piling anything onto our plates you know, meme stocks, industrials, big tech, small cap. But I think this is a pivotal week because even how we are talking about how two major beats are actually diverging, you know, what is the actual future of growth here? I think this is exactly what we need to be looking at. And personal computing, OEM devices, as you're talking about, John, Microsoft has to build things. Microsoft, their revenue is still not operating at the insane margins that Alphabet is because they are building physical things. The operating margins of Alphabet from this last, I mean, from yesterday's results, 29.7% off of growth of 34%. The most incredible part to me was Google grew, uh, Alphabet grew their revenue 34% year on year. They only increased headcount 14%. That money is just magically, you know, exploding. And Google, yeah. Alphabet's biggest strategic challenge is almost kind of how to hide all the money and cash <laughs> and profitability oozing out of every corner Roger, of the business right now. Is there a danger here of some of the eBay, Amazon effect where Early on, when it came to consumer e-commerce, it looked like eBay just had the better model because they weren't dealing with the physical stuff. And people were saying, oh, look at all the money that Amazon's got to spend uh, while eBay is just spinning off cash. Well, it was infrastructure that it turns out was important to the future. Uh, Could it be that you've got one company that's building out some physical infrastructure that's going to be important to the cloud uh, into the future and another that's not? Yep, I think that's a great point because Microsoft, the acquisition of Nuance, uh, you know, which will give them a major leap forward in the healthcare space, you know, using natural language processing and natural language understanding, that stuff is raw infrastructure to build a major services business. That's not just digital advertising revenue. That's not adding and stuffing more ads into a YouTube uh, video and making us all hit skip ad twice nowadays. That's, you know, a real long-term business. So I do agree in terms of where that eventual growth can come. Again, the hardware businesses, the AI services businesses, cloud services businesses, yes, that can matter. But any investor that looks at uh, Alphabet's numbers from yesterday and doesn't at least get a little bit of an appetite there for just you know how profitable and how well operationally executed every part of their business is, it's tough to look away from that. And that's why the stock's up 5%. Ranjan, good morning. It's Deirdre. Um, If we're looking ahead and we're looking for the next growth engines, to use your analogy of a buffet, when you look at a company like Amazon, there's no shortage of growth stories there, whether that's cloud, advertising, groceries, its own hardware. What are you looking for? Do you think that investors want to see that growth engine beyond e-commerce, which has you know, seen incredible demand over the pandemic? And what do you think that next engine will be, leaving cloud aside? Because we already know that that is now a $10 billion plus business. 
Yep. I think cloud, the infrastructure side, everyone, you know, it's getting, it's not quite mature, but it's moving in that direction. Cloud services, again, AI services, I think will be a huge part of a lot of these companies at growth engines. But again, the other thing to, that's difficult to remember is when you're $2 trillion market cap, finding growth isn't that easy. Um, but if they are to find it, if they're to find brand new markets, it has to be in that AI services space, which is where, again, Microsoft, I think the acquisitions they've been making, the way Satya Nadella has led the company, I think has really pushed them in a very strong direction. The market doesn't appear to be seeing it that way, at least for today. Ron John, on, on Alphabet, I wonder, you know, uh, you, you've already gone through so many of the blowout numbers. I see Morgan Stanley today says it might be the cleanest print we see all earnings season. I mean, just the metrics are amazing. How long can companies like this print these quarters and have this aw shucks, uh, you know, we're just another uh, sort of run of the mill tech company without really drawing the eye of of regulators for whom, I guess, too big to fail right now, or at least too big in general, has become sort of a, a, a tabled conversation. I mean, I think as those numbers are announced, you have to imagine everyone in Alphabet leadership on one side is a little bit excited. The stock they know is going to pop on the other side is a little bit, you know, taking a deep breath and knowing that now the eyes of the DOJ antitrust Elizabeth Warren, everyone will look a lot closer because, again, it's just it's almost the ferociousness of these numbers of just how strong they are makes it such a clear, uh, you know, example of market power. Again, I believe uh, Alphabet, it's at 30 percent of digital revenue uh, globally, I think 60 percent in terms of search. I mean, they are just incredibly dominant. And even YouTube, just for everyone sitting there who I'm sure uses YouTube, watching the ad load, how basically there's no other video hosting platform that competes in the same type of way. So the ads can be stuffed in endlessly and their their YouTube revenue doubled uh, from $3 billion to $6 billion. There's nowhere else to go. And especially as the economy reopens, Alphabet is much, much better positioned than everyone else because they had the kind of like, you know, we're at home, work from home, digital life. But also every travel agency, every type of thing will be consuming concert tickets will still all pay the Alphabet tax. Ranjan, let's slice growth a different way, because there are a lot of different ways you can get there. Uh, There's top line growth where you're just growing based on the same model. We've seen plenty of that from some of these names over the years. Uh, But then there's the vertical integration type growth. And we see Apple and Amazon doing more of this. Apple making its own M1 chips for Macs, now for iPad Pros. Uh, Amazon making more of its own chips for the cloud, that can drive both profit growth and then efficiency that allows you to get more market share. And then a bit of M&A, you alluded to that with Microsoft. Uh, They bought Nuance. We had Satya Nadella on TechCheck, really on CNBC, uh, on the day TechCheck launched, talking about that. Not everybody can do M&A because they're so big and eyes are on them. But in this environment, which of those top line vertical integration or M&A you think is going to be most effective going forward? I think M&A in a normal normal time, or at least in a uh, pre-current DOJ and antitrust environment time, would be the most important thing. And I think that's why Microsoft is taking advantage of the fact that they're still considered a friendly company. I think maybe it's because they're 
products are more enterprise and the average consumer doesn't feel that kind of like ire that we do towards Facebook or Alphabet via YouTube, other things like that, they're taking advantage of it. I mean, they bought uh, the company that owns the Doom video game franchise on the gaming side, Nuance. They were trying to buy Discord. They are quietly going after every network product out there. And just and even though they already have LinkedIn and already have all these other massive you know, like networks at their disposal. So, yeah, I think they're showing us that M&A is the ticket to actually getting to that next phase of growth. And that's something, again, Google is sitting on, or sorry, Alphabet is setting on $121 billion of cash, but they can't really do it. Even a $2 billion Fitbit acquisition was uh, checked by the DOJ. It passed, but it was still reviewed. You know, that cash is just sitting there. They can't go out and buy whoever they want. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, $50 billion buyback. You know, that brings me to my last question, and that is CapEx, which came in a little bit lower uh, than the street expected over at Alphabet. And now people are wondering, okay, how long can CapEx be suppressed, especially since real estate, uh, according to some, is about a fifth of their CapEx budget. And if we are really in a hybrid uh, office model now, those are going to be momentous savings uh, that they'll have to spend somehow. Yeah, I mean, Alphabet basically was trying to justify why CapEx was actually stable, why it's not, why they're not reinvesting into whatever it is, more cloud centers, more anything, by saying that they're actually saving money on uh, growth and business, tra- or business travel and other kind of like uh, general administrative expenses. So, yeah, they, they're where to put all that money is the biggest question. And I mean, I think it really makes for an interesting case for a stock that's up 5% today. Um, yeah, where is it going to go? Again, mm-hmm. as long as you can keep churning the search, the uh, you know YouTube revenue, all of this, it seems like a good play. But mm-hmm. in terms of the big platforms, I'm not sure where they go next. Yeah, you know, Ranjan, I asked uh, Alphabet CFO Ruth Porat last night if they would think about increasing their capital return program. And she said, basically, don't hold your breath. They're still going to invest it back into the business. Thank you so much for being with us today. We hope you'll join us again soon, Ranjan. All right. Thank you for having me. New today, Netflix is introducing a play something button. If you can't decide what to watch, I'm often in that category, it will instantly start a series or a film based on what you have watched before. And that brings us to today's crowdsource, something we learned from Alphabet's earnings last night. YouTube revenue is on pace to be the same as Netflix. So... What would YouTube be valued at as a standalone company? I hear Carl laughing. More than Netflix? Less? Tell us. Head to Twitter or scan the QR code on the bottom left of your screen. Later on in the hour, we will show you some of the best answers, John. Yeah, that's great work by the booth, uh, that graphic on Netflix and YouTube revenue. Nice job, guys. When we come back, uh, the president of Spotify, (laughs) we're going to dig down just what happened to Pinterest's quarter and what to expect from Facebook and Apple tonight. That's all ahead on Tech Check. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. 
Edward Jones, who knows that just like life, financial planning isn't only about long-term goals. It's about the moments big and small along the way. And when it comes to achieving everyday financial goals, Edward Jones works hard to connect you with someone you can trust professionally and personally. That's why they created their free financial advisor matching tool to help you find a financial advisor in your community. When you take the quiz and get your matches, don't expect just a list of resumes. You'll also see each financial advisor's story and personal interests. And when it's time to meet for the first time, they'll focus on your story, asking questions to understand where you're headed and why. Because Edward Jones knows that at the end of the day, behind every financial goal is a life goal. And that's what really matters. To learn more and find your financial advisor partner, take the quiz at match.edwardjones.com. Back on AMD, shares were up a lot more. Now they're lower after reporting better than expected first quarter results. Bit of a roller coaster there. The chipmaker saw revenue rise by 93% year over year, led by the performance in computing. Graphics Enterprise CEO Lisa Su saying the company has good visibility into securing additional manufacturing partners. Raising full year guidance still, the stock has been on a tear over the last five years, up well over 2,000. I don't even know what that is X-wise. It's a lot. It's a lot of X's, but it's up. Carl. John, shares of Shopify uh, jumping about 10 percent here. Going to take you back to the early part of March as the quarter has better than expected earnings and revenue uh, benefiting from the online shopping boom, obviously. Joining us this morning, Shopify President Harley Finkelstein. Harley, welcome back. Great to have you. Hey, Carl. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, amazing metrics, uh, GMV, uh, take rates, total revenue, uh, solutions. I guess the question is, uh, how much should viewers think this is all tied to some of the stimulus checks that have driven all kinds of spending? So let's be clear. Uh, you know, we only succeeded Shopify when our merchants succeed. And I think our latest earnings demonstrate that more people are becoming entrepreneurs more than ever before. And those businesses, they're growing. In 2020, an entrepreneur on Shopify made their very first sale every 28 seconds on average. That's up uh, uh, nearly every minute in 2019. So Shopify is really this proxy for modern brands and entrepreneurs, and we now power about 1.7 million of them. And those merchants using Shopify in Q1 sold about $37 billion in the quarter. That's up 114% year on year. And that resulted in Shopify seeing about 988 million uh, in revenue this past quarter, which is about 110% increase year over year. So that means that for every dollar of Shopify's revenue, our merchants are generating about 40. But it's also becoming clear to your point that small businesses are really the rebuilders of this economy. And that's something we're really excited about. And I think we're this rare breed in that we were this wonderful pandemic story. And we're now transitioning to being this global recovery story as countries open up and we see growth continuing. So you're not you're not necessarily trying to uh, uh, communicate or translate to investors the idea that this we might be in the middle of a of a uh, spending boom that we, that we might be in the middle of certainly what the macro strategists argue and that's peak economic growth. Well, if you look at, let's just take Australia and New Zealand, which they're not an exact proxy for the rest of the world, but in those places where things have really opened up, we are not seeing any slowdown in terms of consumers buying from our merchants. And in fact, online GMV in both those countries remain elevated long after the reopening. So uh, we think actually in many ways, the consumer preferences that have shifted through COVID will remain long after COVID, whether that's the fact that consumers want to buy direct from independent brands, they want to vote with their wallets to support brands that they believe in. But that shift, uh, that, that center 
center of gravity in retail moving from brick and mortar to online, that will be permanent long after the pandemic is over. Harley, good morning. I know that at Shopify, you guys have been adding more services, logistics, things to help uh, smaller merchants compete and have choice in the overall marketplace. I'm wondering what you think is going to continue to extend this digital momentum as we recover from the pandemic. Yesterday, we had Adobe CEO on talking about this partnership with FedEx for faster shipping with ShopRunner. Uh, you know, Max Levchin with a firm has talked to us about buy now, pay later. And Shantanu told us that that's an important increasing trend. Are things like better shipping, better logistics and buy now, pay later going to help the consumer continue along this uh, digital momentum? Hey, John, thanks again for that question. Look, I think Shopify is really a retail operating system. I think we're best known for e-commerce, but we're the retail operating system behind your favorite brands. And as I mentioned, we succeed when our merchants succeed. So whether it's the fact that Shopify Capital has now given up more than $2 billion of cumulative capital funding to small businesses, or it's SFN or Fulfillment Network, or Shopify Shipping, or Shopify Balance, which we, we think can make uh, dealing with cash management much easier. What we're trying to do at a, at a macro level is reduce the barriers to success for small businesses all over all over the world. And we're doing that by introducing more and more of these features. The idea is we want to become the world's entrepreneurship company. And to do that, we actually have to help all those pain points get, get reduced. And I think right now, if you talk to the 1.7 million merchants on Shopify, they will tell you that we are the most important piece of software uh, that they're using. That is really important. One other point that's worthwhile pointing out, we wanted to measure what the global economic activity was from the Shopify economy. We call it the Shopify effect. And we actually now, now know that the economic activity across all our merchants uh, on Shopify was about $307 billion last year, which means that globally, Shopify merchants have actually created 3.6 million jobs, which would make them the largest workforce in the world. That's the type of stuff that we're monitoring right now to see what is the effect of democratizing entrepreneurship? What happens if you make small business more accessible? Right. The economic impact. Harley, Shopify has certainly emerged as a key part of that direct to consumer model. And we may be on the cusp of a wave of listings from D2C companies. Honest Company filing, Allbirds and Warby Parker have also been floated. Do you think that the pandemic and the digital transformation we've just been through will make investors more receptive to these kinds of models versus about a year ago when we saw Casper have a disappointing IPO? Do you think broadly the financials have changed? Look, I think if you look at direct-to-consumer, what you are really seeing is a return to how commerce should have always been, where the maker, the brand, connects directly with the consumer. And, you know, 20, 200 years ago, you bought bread from the baker and you bought shoes from the cobbler. And the reason that was impossible for so long was there was this massive intermediation. And with intermediation being taken away and the Internet, frankly, democratizing distribution, now you have brands like Allbirds and Beyond Yoga and Gymshark and Bombas and Rothy's becoming industry category leaders. And, you know, we talk a lot about some of those brands. But one thing that's also really interesting is that I mentioned this on the earnings call this morning. From Lego to Lord & Taylor, from Heinz to Hallmark, we're also seeing more of these traditional, more established brands also come to Shopify to create a direct-to-consumer business model, which, frankly, they never had before. And I think all that is leading to consumers deciding that direct-to-consumer is simply a better way to purchase, particularly when they're buying from independent brands. Harley, one last question, sort of off, off the topic of the company itself. I hope you won't mind, but you're so, you're so thoughtful about this stuff. We're going to hear a lot about uh, taxes tonight at the presidential address, specifically capital gains. 
And a big debate has been whether or not that's truly going to stifle or inhibit uh, innovation and entrepreneurialism. Do you think it would have been less entrepreneurial or innovative had cap uh, gain tax rates been higher in the past? Well, in the early days of any startup or any company that's getting built, you don't really have a lot of money to pay salaries. And so you do provide options and RSUs. And the tax rate on those options and RSUs, they do determine whether or not that early person, that early employee that you bring on is going to have a windfall. And, and you know, I, I know you've had people on your show that say if you raise capital gains, more people will go to more employment income at the big companies. I think that there is a way for you to have a proper tax system whereby it incentivizes the creation of new business, but it also is fair. And I think, uh, I hope we will see that. Certainly, uh, certainly that's my hope. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what kind of uh, policy can be hammered out uh, over the longer term. Harley, thanks so much. Great to see you. Thank you so much. Great to see you as well, Carl. Check out shares of Pinterest. They are plunging. It is the flip side of the pandemic pull forward after this break. And later, Mark Zuckerberg has an explanation for this sunscreen photo, and it's a good one. Tech Check, we'll be right back. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. Welcome back to Tech Check on CNBC. I'm John Fort with Carl Quintanilla, Deirdre Bosa, and Julia Borston here with us. An incredibly busy day as tech opens up the books. Alphabet up 5% after earnings at the top of the S&P. Microsoft down 3. Other FANG names holding up. Facebook up 2 ahead of its report after the bell. Apple flat ahead of its report. And then Visa. It's up 2% in the back of earnings as well. So a lot of movers to get to. But first, it's time for a news update. Rahel Solomon has it. Rahel. Hi, John. Well, Boeing shares are helping to drive the decline of the Dow Industrials. Even as the broader market is on the rise, commercial jet sales were short of expectations. And CEO Dave Calhoun says that the 737 MAX situation is disappointing. Stanley Black & Decker results beating estimates. Tool and storage sales shot up 48 percent over the last year. That was thanks to strong demand from professionals and also homebound consumers during the pandemic. The family of the late Samsung Electronics Chairman Lee says that they will pay $10.8 billion in taxes for his estate. It's one of the largest inheritance tax bills ever. The family is also donating his vast art collection to South Korea and another $900 million to improve public health care. And in Wales, here's something a little different. Remote work being taken to new extremes. A call center consultant has set up his office on a cliff. Facing the Irish Sea, he says that as long as he has a good internet connection and his laptop, he's got everything he needs to get his job done. I don't know, though, that that would work for us, John. A little different. I'll send it back to you. We should try it, Rahel. Uh, listen, I'm down. Let's, you, let's do it. Let's go. We'll see how management know? like that. Like that. All right. Pinterest, meanwhile, getting really crushed this morning, down 13%. Now it's only up 240% in the last year. Julia Borston, I am on pins and needles to hear the explanation for how this fits into the broader social ecosystem, what the downside here is. 
John, you couldn't help yourself with that pun there. Uh, well, Pinterest, this is all the, the stock is declining right now because Pinterest warned of the downside of reopening the economy, saying that lockdowns probably pulled forward some user growth into 2020, particularly in the U.S., and saying that the company has seen the easing of pandemic restrictions, slowing monthly active user growth and lower engagement, predicting that U.S. users in the second quarter will be flat with the number of U.S. users a year earlier This after the company did not grow its U.S. user base at all in the first quarter. But the majority of analysts are still bullish on this stock after revenue grew far faster than expected. And Pinterest guided to faster than expected 105 percent second quarter revenue growth. The pandemic did prove a meaningful opportunity for the company to draw new advertisers. Now half are small and mid-sized businesses, showing that its automated advertising tools are working, as are new tools to drive e-commerce. Stiefel writing, quote, shoppers will likely re- shopping will likely remain a driver of the overall business in the long term, as management expects shopping engagement will be more resilient than overall engagement in a post-COVID environment. And MKM says that Pinterest has less downside exposure to Apple's operating system change, limiting ad targeting. So Deirdre, remember Pinterest has so much information on what we all want to buy based on our activity that that should really mitigate the impact of people opting out of targeting. Right, Julie, shouldn't Facebook have that kind of information as well? It's so interesting to hear these much smaller companies, Pinterest being one, Nextdoor being another, saying that they have the information, the ad technology to be able to withstand this. Why doesn't Facebook? Well, I think that I think the real difference is when people go to Pinterest, they're usually looking to buy something. It's for planning. So you're maybe now you're planning your next vacation or for me, I use it to save recipes or to plan home decor things. So if you go looking for throw pillows and you're searching throw pillows, Pinterest knows exactly what kind of throw pillow ads to show you. And that's a kind of shopping intent that there just isn't as much on Facebook because that's really about connecting with friends, though there is some connecting with brands. It isn't the main activity the way it is on Pinterest. Julia, you know, I hate to bring it up, but it is sort of an under under layer to all Pinterest conversations. And that is the sort of low level promotional uh, archetype of Ben Silverman. Um, he's not the CEO who's going to go on Twitter and call himself the Doge father, as Elon Musk did uh, today. How much of that's at play? Look, I tried to convince Ben Silverman to come on and do an interview with us. I think they're, you know, we, we will continue to push. Ben, if you want to come on and do an interview, we'd love to talk to you. I think he's a much quieter leader. He isn't out doing these live events the way, you know, yesterday we had Mark Zuckerberg do a live Instagram with Adam Mosseri. So he's trying to be heads down and build out this business. But so much of this business now is going to be not just about automating advertising for small and medium sized businesses, but also really making shopping something that can happen seamlessly. So hopefully we'll hear more from him. <laughs> Although I'm not holding my breath for him to call himself the uh, <laughs> Doge master, Doge father, anything like that. Much quieter. <laughs> Julia, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, today, we will also break down what went wrong for Spotify this quarter. That's up next. And later, the co-founder of Basecamp joins us to explain why his company no longer allows politics talk. At work, it has been a debate that has been raging on Twitter. It comes to Tech Check in just a few minutes.
Spotify shares hitting rewind this morning, down big despite uh, recording a smaller than expected loss and beating sales estimates. Uh, monthly active users, premium subs higher by 24 and 21 percent. The music streamer also announcing the launch of a podcast subscription service. In an effort to attract creators, Spotify won't charge an access fee uh, until 2023. And even then, it'll only be about 5 percent far below that of rival Apple. Daniel Eck joined us this morning in the 9 a.m. hour. Talk about uh, the podcasting revenue element. Take a listen. We have two totally different revenue streams for podcasters and uh, for music. Um, the gross margin profile for podcasting obviously is a bit different. We're still very much in the investment phase in our podcasting stage, but over time I expect them to be a little bit better than we have on the music side. So that's obviously going to contribute to a much better story uh, over time for Spotify. Podcast engagement, all-time high. Uh, Joe Rogan was number one. The Obama and Springsteen uh, a podcast, number two. And as for the shares, John, uh, down 9%. Uh, seems dramatic, but it's really only going to take you back about a week. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Uh, Apple likes to make money, you know. Um, it prices its stuff to make money. You can count on that. Uh, Basecamp co-founder David Heinemeyer Hansen is next. On that decision to ban, well, political conversation, maybe some other types at work as well. Meantime, trending on CNBC.com right now, Tesla's $2.5 billion reserve of Bitcoin. Check that out. Stay with us. We're back in two. Basecamp causing an uproar on Twitter, a blog post outlining a new rule which discourages societal and political discussions while using company accounts and platforms. For more on the decision, we are joined by Basecamp co-founder and CTO David Heinemeyer Hansen. David, thanks for being with us and explaining this further. Now, I do understand both sides of this, how such a policy can be constructive, but mandating such a policy seems to go against the entire point here trying to make something that is inherently political, apolitical, how are you not creating a new kind of political culture with this? This is a political decision, if you will. The, the decision is that these kinds of discussions are really difficult and you should continue to have them, just not in our workspaces. Take those decisions and uh, conversations to other channels, uh, set something up on Signal, on WhatsApp, uh, continue the conversation on Twitter or Facebook. There are a million ways you can have these discussions about what's going on in society and the politics of it. It doesn't have to be where we do our work. And in fact, when you do have it at work, um, you very quickly create these very tensious uh, moments when you have, as we do, 57 employees who don't all share politics on everything, why would we rob that against each other, those edges against each other, create those sparks that are unlikely to resolve anything when these issues are not related to what we actually do at work? So that's the decision that we've made, that we've asked employees to move those uh, conversations to other channels, their own channels, social media, wherever they engage with it. But the workspaces that we use to create the products that we do, we're going to say, do you know what? We're not going to mm -hmm. have those conversations here. I understand you guys didn't have a great experience with this, but some would argue that they can be very constructive and highlighting diversity and equality. But, uh, David, I do want to talk about the timing of this. This morning, you did respond to Casey Newton's piece in The Verge, revealed that this new policy came less than two weeks after HR complaints were filed about you. I appreciate that you gave more details, but 
Your post didn't address the connection and the timing between the complaints and the policy. So can you understand how this policy looks like it was perhaps in response to those complaints? It was a response to part of the threat that brought these things on, that this was another example after several this year of uh, contentious, acrimonious public debates made on company stages where the entire company is involved that turned out really poorly. And this was another example of that. And we, we sat back and thought, Do you know what? Why are we doing this? What are we resolving with these uh, debates when employees end up hurling words at each other in a um, in a discussion forum where the CEO then has to step in and say, OK, we can't continue this on. These discussions are very difficult. People have very different points of view on it. And that is good and it's fair. And you should continue to have those discussions. They just don't have to happen at uh, the workspaces. If you were doing this in an office, I think it would be much clearer that if you go out to lunch with your coworkers, you can discuss politics, you can discuss all sorts of things. It's sort of at work, but it's away from work. If you spin around on your office chair in an open office and start these conversations in such a way that pulls in the entire company, I think most people would see like, why are we doing this? Why are we sitting in the office at large having these difficult conversations about societal politics and sparks are flying left and right? Is this an appropriate use of the office? Uh, and David, this, here's, here's the part that I don't get. Like if, if this were about voting laws or who you voted for for president or things like that, uh, makes more sense to me. Yes, maybe the workplace isn't the place to have those conversations, but so much of what seems to have sparked this at base camp is about your own policies and about corporate culture. And it seems like this has the potential to have a chilling effect on employees talking about how you treat people who are different from the mainstream, even within base camp. That's different from talking politics. That's not politics. That's base camp culture. Are you risking actually tamping down important cultural conversations about base camp just because they're uncomfortable for you? I hope not. These should, things should always be addressable. The culture of Basecamp, how we treat employees, the policies and practices that we have, these are all absolutely fair game for a discussion. There are forums to have those discussions. We have a uh, head of people ops who um, lead the initiatives that we do on that. Uh, not all of those discussions necessarily need to happen with the entire company. Some of them can, and that is all good and fine. That's not the issues that brought this on. Uh, the particular um, thread that I discussed this morning was one where we spiraled from a discussion um, that was related to one thing to like in all the ways this could connect to genocide or um, it's related to colonial atrocities or other things that were unrelated to the uh, merits of the initial issue. And it's when we go in those directions that we don't end up somewhere good. But employees should always have the right to question any policy that affects them at work. Um, and those kinds of uh, politics, if you will, were specifically carved out from the change in, um, in our etiquette on how to do this. So, David, do you think that social conversations, any of them in the workplace, can be constructive or beneficial? And best case scenario, couldn't that trickle down to the way that your company treats customers? Why would you sort of take that away and that possibility just because you've had a bad experience? 
Well, I think we have to separate here whether are we talking about uh, the latest episode of Game of Thrones or are we talking about um, voting rights, for example, or, or anything else. I'm talking cultural that... and societal conversations. Yeah, Not and Game some of, of those Thrones, uh, important conversations of... about diversity and culture. Yep, and some of those conversations are going to be fine to have. We had a number of conversations around societal political issues that went in very unproductive places. No one ended up being better off after it, and, and we ended up essentially um, kind of pitting employees against each other on our workspaces. And you know what? It's possible that those things can turn out well. Um, and we've had uh, examples after example of it not turning out well. So when you see something at work that keeps not turning out well, it is your duty and responsibility to do something about that. Which is the other point to make here is that uh, employees at Basecamp or employees at any other company is not a unified block, uh, at least in most cases, on these issues. There is a wide variety of opinions and political directions. And we have had at Basecamp a um, substantial number of employees say, do you know what? I'm deeply uncomfortable with where we're going with this. Why is this happening at work? Can I just show up and do my job Um, rather than by force being pulled into into these debates. And I have a lot of sympathy for that, too. You should be able to opt in or opt out of these kinds of uh, discussions, but you can't do that if it's happening in your workspace with the whole company. You can do that if it's happening in a um, off-channel uh, uh, employee group or if it's happening on Twitter. You can choose not to open Twitter. You can choose not to participate in voluntary groups. You can't choose not to be in our workspaces. And uh, the employees who feel uncomfortable with those kinds of uh, discussions need that opportunity as well. Well, David, we were never going to solve this debate, but we do appreciate you coming on air and explaining uh, what's really happened over the last few days in response to this policy. David Hannemeyer Hansen, co-founder of Basecamp. In the meantime, Dogecoin surging once again today, up almost 15 percent, thanks in part to Mark Cuban and an appearance on Ellen yesterday. You can find out what he said on CNBC.com as the SEC now has delayed a decision on the Vanek Bitcoin ETF until June. Another YOLO trade, Microvision, has been a favorite of Wall Street bets on Reddit. It's up 20% on some actual real news. Progress on LIDAR. We're back in a moment. Funding secured. Online healthcare company Capsule more than doubling its total funds raised to date, securing $300 million in the latest round announced this morning. Founder and CEO Eric Canarawala said this brings the company's valuation to more than a billion dollars. And this is going to fuel an expansion even farther beyond pharmacy into making it a one-stop shop for consumers. Capsule's goal is to reach 100 million people by the end of 2021. I asked him exactly what he plans to do with these funds and keep up with giants like Amazon uh, that are entering the space. Take a listen. We've built a product that is valuable to hospitals and doctors and insurance companies and local governments. And what we're doing now with, uh, with the new financing is building a, a digital healthcare system that works for everyone. And what that means is to have a single, simple, holistic place where a consumer can access all of the needs they have in digital health. And we're doing that in partnership across the entire healthcare industry. We also talked about the pandemic's impact and Microsoft's nuance acquisition. Here, the whole interview, a little over 15 minutes. You can go to TechCheck's Twitter account or uh, our LinkedIn page, scan the QR code 
on the screen. Let's see, are we going to get the QR code? I don't see it yet. But anyway, LinkedIn, TechCheck, we'll or the, the Twitter account. <laughs> you know where to find us. We'll post that QR code later. Uh, meanwhile, what to expect tonight from Facebook and Apple, those companies going in different directions today, plus Netflix versus YouTube. That is, of course, today's crowdsource. Tech Check returns after one more quick break. How fitting is it that Apple and Facebook will both have earnings on the same night? Uh, Julia, what are you going to be watching? Well, not only will they have earnings on the same night, but for Facebook, the big question is how much Apple's operating system change is going to really impact Facebook's revenue. And this the operating system just started rolling out on Monday. So we're going to be listening very carefully for any indications of how many people they expect will be opting in, opting out, how that could impact revenue growth. Two other areas I'm going to be focusing on for Facebook. One is the reopening. Is it going to help Facebook the way it helped Snap? Or is it going to hurt Facebook the way the reopening hurt Pinterest. So we're seeing two different models there, and we'll see where Facebook falls in that. And then the third area we might hear more about is about the creator economy. Zuckerberg has talked lately about offering new tools for creators to be able to make money from their fan base. So guys, that's going to be very interesting to hear from Facebook this afternoon. Sure will. And now for our crowdsource, we asked why YouTube's valuation wouldn't be higher than Netflix's if they have about the same revenue. And crowdsource isn't just on Twitter. Mike Santoli is weighing in. Uh, Mike, why? Yeah, John, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm part of the crowd here. Well, who's to say it isn't uh, as big as Netflix? We don't know exactly what parts of Alphabet are valued in which ways. Uh, it's, you know, about $225 billion is Netflix's uh, market cap right now. That's about one-seventh of overall Alphabet uh, revenue, uh, overall market cap, rather. YouTube in the past quarter accounted for about one-ninth of, uh, of Alphabet's total revenue. Maybe, in fact, we're giving, getting credit for it within Alphabet's valuation. I would also say, you know, within a company conglomerate, discount. You don't get that uh, necessarily apples for apples comparison. Also, isn't much of the revenue shared with creators. It's not the same business model. It's advertising. YouTube does not have 200 million credit card accounts and names around the world where they have a direct relationship with customers the way Netflix does, guys. Yeah, that's a great point, Mike. The business models are very different. What do investors value more? That sort of mostly ad-based business model or the billions and millions that Netflix spends uh, on content. Uh, so we will see. It'll be a really good uh, topic to watch this year. Meantime, we are gearing up. We are in the middle of that busy, busiest earnings seasons, guys. Uh, Apple and Facebook after the bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.